You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Yes, folks, here we are at Dublin South FM, south side of Dublin, broadcasting into all of Ireland. Also, we have our great listenership across in America, England, and in the majority of a lot of countries around the world. So I am honoured for this show to be broadcast on the airwaves. Today, I asked a question. Can we improve an organization's performance, decision-making, leadership, success, performance, focus and integration, motivation? Are our staff motivated? Are our people just getting a little bit lazy? Dr. Dean Splitzer, award-winning, well-known author, a man that has spent his life asking these questions. And we're going to open the can today and find all the answers. Dean, welcome to Dublin South FM. Thank you so much, Joe. And I hope that can doesn't just contain worms. Well, you have to open it to find out. (laughs) But there are going to be some worms among the, the treasure. Why did you pick measurement as your philosophy? Measurement is not the philosophy, but it's the essence of of improvement, but I will get into that. I spent most of my life trying to find what was the secret of organizational success. I'm a social psychologist. Uh, um, I worked uh, a lot in academic settings and industrial settings, and it seemed like the the uh, the holy grail was how do we get more performance from our organizations? And traditionally, the focus has been on people. How do we make people better? And, you know, if you, you know, there must be thousands of, uh, of programs and books on how do we make people better? And you've got lots of great ideas on how to make people better and happier and more effective. But as I was doing this studying, I realized that there was one key constraint, and that's the systems that people work in. So there's a a great quote uh, by a guy by the name of Gary Rumler is, um, uh, you put, Uh, good people in a bad system, and the system will win every time. And that's unfortunately what we do. And so how do we try to improve the situation? By improving the people. But we don't really improve the systems, so the people end up becoming victims of the system. And so what we do, and and one of the reasons why we have the problems that we have, you know, like, for instance, uh, you know, the great retirements that everybody's talking about, you know, people are leaving their jobs and uh, and uh, uh, there's low productivity and poor morale and things like that. So what do we do? We try to improve people. And we put people through all these kind of programs that will make them better. But then we put those same, those same people go into maybe another organization that's same old bad organization where the systems are broken. 
So um, that's what that's how I got into measurement when I was looking for the what was the thing that ultimately determines the health or effectiveness of a system that we put people in. And I saw that after looking at every variable, I saw that the most fundamental underlying system within organizational systems is the measurement system. If you think about it, everything gets done by measurement. Uh, decisions are made by measurement. Uh, people's uh, promotions and incentives are made on the basis of measurement. Um, everything is done on the basis of measurement. The problem is, Joe, the measurement sucks. <laughs> the measurement's terrible. So the systems are bad and the measurement, which is the preeminent system, is terrible. Do people think when they think of measurement, they think evaluation and evaluation is a slap on the wrist. Sometimes the system is a beast and it takes full control of the organization. It's about trying to improve people. So if something's not working, we get people to fix it. We try to improve people, but we don't actually get people to fix the system. We might get people to try to fix the problem, but if we don't fix the larger system, then what they're gonna be doing is spending all their time just fixing isolated problems over and over again. With the world as it is, Dean, and with trying to get people in to fix the proper systems and educate people, brings me to a question on leadership. Is there an issue then that our leaders in organizations, even I could even say in the political realm in certain countries, have lost the ability to think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, what we do, if you look at leadership training, we teach people behaviors of leadership. And then we put them in a leadership role in an organization that's broken. And so how, how good are those, how valuable are those leadership behaviors? Again, you know, we tend in our, in our culture to be individually focused. We think that the, the, the solution is to fix the individual, but then we keep putting individuals into these broken systems. Now, the one example that I love to use that really I think resonates with most people is fast food restaurants. Uh, they've been around for a long time and they have close to perfect systems. That doesn't mean they can't improve, but I mean, and, and of course they're, they're limited in their mission, but still, you know, if you think of McDonald's or Burger King or some of the, uh, the fast food restaurant uh, franchises that you have over there, um, they're pretty darn good. You're making me now, salivate here. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, why can't we apply the same systems effectiveness to larger and more diverse organizations? And the answer is we can, but nobody wants to even try 
Um, it's sort of like when I was working at IBM, one of the senior vice presidents said to me when I told him that I had a solution to IBM systems problems, uh, and IBM was a mess at the time. And he said, Dean, you're absolutely right, but why would we ever want to change the system that rewards us so royally? <laughs> You know, he was making hundreds and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars after stock options, and he didn't want to change the system. People who are invested in the existing systems don't want to change them. That's a very good point, actually, because if a system is paying you and you are then winning or gaining those royalties, it, the old saying is don't rock the boat. But, you know, as as one of my past interviews uh, said, the fish rots from the head. So big, large organizations might be making X amount, but there's a lot of medium sized companies out there that don't have the luxury of making the stock options that IBM have. And they are scratching their head because they know their product their intentions, their intentions are worthy and good, but their problem is trying to get the business to that next level. What solutions, what solutions do companies look at? Is there a procedure in place that's already there that they can actually just identify and implement into their own organizations? Yeah, well, the, the first thing that has to be done is they have to determine the desired outcomes, the, the results that they want. Very often, organizations don't have a clue about what their real outcomes are. Outcome equals value. So, you know, we've talked about that before, Joe, is that I believe that the key to everything is to identify the value. And if you look at what an organization produces, 90% of what it produces are product, not outcomes or value. And so the first thing that an organization has to do is look at the real value that they're providing the customer with. Uh, what is their value proposition? And then you work back from there and determine what is the ideal system for creating that value, but in the process, reducing all the waste. In other words, how do we make that 10% of value into 90% of the results that the organization is producing? And then how do we create systems that promote that and make that process virtually automatic? Elaborate on that. Okay. Basically, I have a model that I use. The model is inputs, process, outputs, and outcomes. The inputs are the resources, the people and the things and the money and all that sort of stuff. All of that does not provide any value in and of itself. Then we put those resources, those inputs into the pro process. A process is are the activities that the organization is engaged in to produce something. And organizations tend to have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of activities. Often they are unrelated to each other and, and often conflict with each other. 
Uh, in fact, most organizations, and we can talk more about this, are composed of silos. You know, an organization might have 20 or 30 different functions, and those functions unfortunately exist to perpetuate themselves and to make themselves look good as opposed to promote value for the organization as a whole. So, you know, what are some of these functions? There's uh, the operations production function, which should be pretty important, but then there's finance that tends to rule everything. They make all the decisions, basically. There's HR, there's quality, there's IT, etc. You know, the different departments, yeah. Right, lots of departments. And unfortunately, because there's no system-wide mapping or organizational mapping, they tend to work against each other. In the me- and each function has a measurement system, which is unique to its own function, and again, perpetuates the status quo of advancing the function or department rather than the value that's produced by the organization as a whole. So we have inputs, process, then we have outputs. As I said, most of the outputs of an organization are not necessarily value. You know, an example is a tire manufacturing company. What is their outputs? Their outputs are tires, as well as lots of waste along the process. But a tire in itself doesn't provide value to anybody until that tire gets put onto a vehicle and and it serves its purpose. So we have inputs process outputs which are not have are not inherently value oriented and then we have outcomes and the outcomes are the value the benefits the real benefit to the stakeholders so if we start with the value that we want to produce and all the waste that's being produced along with the value and work back, how can we create a more effective and efficient system? That's how we're going to get results. And that's exactly what the fast food restaurants have done. And I believe that virtually any organization can do something similar to what the fast food businesses have done. On a a larger scale, it's more complex, but still, their basic model works. It's been proven. You know, you can sell a franchise to anybody and they can make money from it. It's because if you look at, say, McDonald's and you walk into a McDonald's anywhere in the world, you know, the, the ice cream maker is beside the, the, the French fry maker. It's all laid out. So they have that playbook. Since we're talking about tires in the automotive industry, you had the big franchises would have a playbook of how all the dealerships had to look. So the, the dealers were identical. Speaking to some people this morning and I was saying about in marketing. And people think about marketing is about how do you get that lead? How do you get that person in the door? But it's not. Marketing should be based on how that person feels after working with you, the outcome that they get. And that's where marketing should be focused on. Emotional attachment, the love for what you've done for them. 
and you work backwards on it. That, that's a good point. And that, that's value-focused. Value-focused, yes. You look at the, the customer and the value that they're receiving. And you're absolutely right, Joe, is the value is not just tangible, it's also intangible. So if you sell a product, you also want positive feelings to go along with that product. And in fact, uh, I believe that the most successful organizations don't have to do much marketing. In fact, if you want to look at the, you know, there's almost an inverse relationship between the amount spent on marketing and organizational success because the customers should be the primary marketers and word of mouth, you know, is the most effective form of marketing. People ask the questions, how do I measure intangible? Look at your staff. Look at how everyone is in the organization. Are people happy? Are your customers talking about you? I think that you're mixing a little bit apples and oranges because you're talking about the, the value that people are receiving as employees within the organization. And you're also talking about the external stakeholders. I think we have to be very careful not to mix the few because I know a lot of organizations that are very unsuccessful and the employees are very happy. Yeah. Employee happiness is not necessarily an indicator of organizational effectiveness. And yet today there seems to, I mean, obviously you don't want your employees to leave you want some degree of employee retention. You want some degree of employee satisfaction. But still, it's not all about the employees. It's about the customer. It's about the stakeholder. It's about the people who are paying the bills. That's where we need to put our value focus. How can you change a system when people within the organization fear to change because they might feel that they are they're not doing their job or they feel inadequate. How do you direct your strategy towards them? First of all, uh, we got to be very careful not to mix, you know, the, the what we call performance appraisal with real measurement. Uh, measurement should not be related to employees. It should be related to the system. So therefore, if anything is broken, 99% of the reason is the system is broken, not the people. But what we tend to do is we tend to assess the people and not the systems. And that's a real serious mistake because then people are gonna become very defensive and they're gonna look at measurement as they tend to today as their enemy rather than their friend. Measurement is our best friend, our absolute best friend. So if we focus on measuring the right things, our approach is basically that nobody is guilty. Everybody is trying to do the best that they can, but they're working through an imperfect system. We've got to improve the system. And part of the system are HR systems, training systems, and things like that. But people are kind of victims of the system. And in fact, they're victims of hundreds of systems that they have to work through in an organization. So my focus is never on the individual employee. It's always on measuring to improve the system. We are in a world that has, is changing, especially, you know, we, we hear the great resignation. And, and I sometimes I wonder, you know, where I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and in those we had procedures and processes. 
which I think were lost over the decades because of just the way life has changed. And as we are sort of dip into uncertainty, will those procedures, processes and behaviors that I learned in the 80s and 90s to run businesses, will they be now called upon once again for the new entrepreneurs who need who need them badly? Yeah, I think if you look at systems that really work, they're not much different over the last 50 years. That's part of the problem. We've we've tried to innovate systems rather than have a good, solid, basic system that works. Again, go back to the example I use of the fast food franchises. They're basically, they might be using different technology, but their systems are pretty much the same and they've perfected those systems over time. So we gotta be really careful. Now, let let me just raise one thing that I think is a really good example and and it relates to a lot of the things that you've been raising, Joe. Uh, the healthcare systems. I mean, I know in Ireland you have a healthcare system. The UK has its healthcare, you know, its healthcare system. The United States has our healthcare system. The healthcare system. Hel- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, um, so I, I just read that in the United States, $4 trillion is spent on healthcare in the United States. $4 trillion. That's way in excess of our annual budget for the whole country. Um, And, uh, you know, if you look at at what happened with the COVID thing, um, the United States had pretty much the worst record of any country in the world as far as COVID, and yet we spent the most money. Why? Because our healthcare, quote unquote, system is so broken. It was, it's horrible. And, uh, you know, who were the people who suffered the most from COVID were the people with pre-existing conditions, and we've done nothing to address the pre-existing conditions. So the next pandemic's going to come around, and we're going to have the same problem. Again, it's looking at things in a systemic way, as opposed to trying to solve the problems as they come up. We've tried to solve that problem in Ireland and any political leader that gets assigned to the, to the health system, it's the kiss of death. Um, and the, the top of our health service was probably, was, I think he was getting nearly a quarter of a million. And after a couple of years, he, he just retired out of it. The belief is it can't be fixed because there are so many people necessary or unnecessary as in the admin part that they don't want to fix because it is serving a purpose to me myself and i well that's what we were talking about towards the beginning of the interview when i mentioned my experience at ibm where the senior vice president didn't want to fix the system but every system can be fixed and improved and and made healthy and robust Uh, I think the key to revolutionizing in the healthcare system is to focus on some models and then replicate those models throughout the system. You know, we in the United States have a couple of healthcare models that are considered exemplary. Um, 
And uh, unfortunately, the other systems don't adopt. I believe that the key to improvement is not just innovation. That's what we tend to focus on and that's what we tend to fund is radically new things. I think we already have models that are working pretty well and the, the way to improve the larger system is to replicate those models in other situations. So in other words, rather than blowing up the whole healthcare system and doing it over again, find the models that are working well and the, the, um, uh, the experiments that are working well and then fund those to replicate them throughout the system. The healthcare system here, people listening to this will actually cause them to have high blood pressure. We have Children's Hospital here, which is already, I think, run into the billions to build. So it's, but here's the question that I, that I have. But just let me, just let me mention one thing, if I could, Joe, is I believe that the key to improving organizations is identifying best practices or even good practices, and then investing in them and replicating them. But also, see, the problem is that if you do that, then you're not going to get innovation. But there should be both. There should be the, the identification and replication of best practices plus innovation. Does it start with asking the right questions? Yes, every solution starts by asking the right questions. Absolutely. So what questions, what sort of questions should he be asking himself and his and his team so they can get the organization back on track? I actually have hundreds of questions that I use when I coach organizations, but the simplest questions are what is working well? What is not working well? What is, where are the major sources of waste? What are the, the areas that uh, are really outstanding and that we could replicate throughout the organization? The focus is not on the people. You know, the same thing would apply to, to HR. What HR practices are working? What leadership training practices are working? Trying to find out what's working and then replicating them, but also identifying what are the major problems that are causing us waste, that are causing us inefficiency, that are preventing us from providing customers with real value, and then uh, spend a lot of time talking to customers about the value that they're receiving. Do you know how many calls I get and, and surveys I get from organizations wanting that information from me as a customer? I mean, I literally get hundreds every year of these kind of surveys, both by telephone and by email and in other ways. and all they do is waste my time. They're horrible. I mean, it's just very simple to ask somebody, what has been your most frustrating experience with our organization? What has been your best experience with our, your, our organization? What suggestions for improvement do you have? Rather than ask them to, to rate the organization in 20 or 30 different dimensions on a 10 point scale. 
I, I would agree because I, when I'm working and coaching with a company, I get them to ask their existing clients three questions. Why did you come to us? You know, why are you still with us? And what can we do to improve the relationship? That's it. Simple, simple questions to get the ball rolling. What happens with an organization if they've gone, okay, we're doing everything that Dean has told us. We've invested an amount of money in trying to fix this and they're still not going where they hoped they would be. First of all, they're not doing everything I suggested because if they were, they wouldn't be in that position. But but ultimately, Joe, as I said at the beginning, and as you said in your intro, is that if the measurement system is not supportive of improvement and innovation, it isn't going to happen. Nothing is going to happen in an organization if the measurement system is working against it, because the measurement system triggers rewards and punishments. And we know human behavior. People are going to do what's rewarded. They're going to avoid doing what's punished. And it's the measurement system as ineffective and uh, poorly designed as it is that gives them that information. Even a totally broken measurement system, the word, you know, what I tell people is even if you're not measuring, you're measuring. Like even not making a decision sometimes is a decision. Exactly. Yeah. Not making a decision is a decision. You're absolutely right. What percentage of companies, in your opinion, would you feel are not um, evol evolving by using good measurement systems? 99%. 99%. So then, if that's the case, what is the future looking like? for organizations as we roll into the next decade? Unfortunately, the future is bleak because not only are we not em emphasizing that measurement component, which is, is going to either cause organizations to improve and change, and as you say, evolve, or maintain the status quo or even go backwards, that's really bad. But the, the other thing that uh, we're seeing is that organizations are not interested in really learning. Uh, to me, that is one of the key areas of improvement, organizational learning. If we, you know, just like, you know, you talk so much in your, you know, in your work and your programs and stuff like that about the importance of learning. Well, organizations actually punish learning and they don't measure learning and they don't encourage learning and if we're not learning what's going to happen we're going to die i read and i read something i think it was last year that most people stop learning when they leave college they feel that is it now i have got my badge of honor and they stop learning no now, i actually think that that's when they start learning when they get out of when they get out of formal education and go into the real world, but then they get frustrated into the in the real world and they want to learn what's happening in the real world. But the real world tells them, we don't want you to learn. We don't want you to to change the system. And so they, they get back. But 
the I system believe- provides the system provides and you you just follow the system and you'll be okay yeah well if you don't follow the system you won't be okay that's the problem but if you look at education joe is that right from early life we are taught to think like everybody else yeah the herd mentality it's absolutely what education is it's it's educating people to think traditionally are they losing their lateral thinking are they losing their intuition are they losing their creativity there has to be some i think i hope there's going to be some sort of revolution i would say within the education system to actually say we need people now to get be more creative it's like there was someone there uh, in china and he's teaching people over there to be lateral thinkers because the education system there is is very much institutionalized of and there's people now giving courses on how to lateral think where you and me would take granted for granted. Yeah. And it reinforces the fact that I said that the problem is the system. It's yeah. not the people. Preach about is procedures and systems and behaviors. But I'm also, and a word I haven't used today is chaos. Because if you don't have them in place, we have chaos. That's a good point. And that's what happened during COVID. That was an a instigator of chaos and we weren't prepared for it. Uh, but let's go back to your comment on schools. Technology in schools is not evil. It's great. Um, it it re- relieves kids of the routine. Uh, there's so much uh, software that's available to get them to think laterally and, and every other way. Uh, I have a granddaughter um, who just is very technology savvy and she has increased her intellectual capabilities so much through the use of technology. The problem is she's going to go into a traditional uh, education, you know, uh, higher educational setting where they're not going to encourage her creative thinking. And then she's gonna go into workplaces where they're definitely going to undermine and to prevent her from thinking creatively. So again, if you wanna look at what is the largest system that we deal with, it's called a lifetime. So if you really wanna re-engineer systems, look at re-engineering the lifespan of a human being. Let's step out of the organization and then look at the individual because without an organizer without the individual there is no organization yeah but uh, you know you talked about the great retirement and stuff like that people come and go so yeah the organization actually does exist independent of people because people are um, you might not like me to say this, but they're interchangeable parts. People come and go. I mean, when I was at IBM, I couldn't believe that IBM survived, but it survives. It, 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 people retire all the time. Yeah, they forgot about the in. day after. And, IBM, and the same is true for the church. The same is true for education. The same is true for healthcare, whether we like to admit it or not. 
people are just interchangeable parts and it's the system that is sustainable, not the individual contributions to the system. And I said in the very beginning of, of the interview, the system can be a beast. Well, the system is the superordinate thing. Organizations are systems. The world is composed of organizations. Even God has created organizations. You know, he has God created a kingdom, his kingdom, which is an organization. So everything is an organization. Everything is a system. We've got to learn to look at the system as being our friend and realize that we have the power and capability to change, modify, and improve the system. And there, there it is. There it is. It's actually being able to recognize it and change it so it works better. Right. And you talk a lot about awareness. And again, I think part of the problem that we have is people are individually aware, you know, like, for instance, you talk about positive thinking and negative thinking In and the TED talk, you know, yeah. tell people to, to move inwards and stuff. And that is all very good, but that's not going to improve systems. No, but I believe that if you are self-aware in yourself, when you are looking at the organization, you can have a better balanced approach. Maybe, but I believe that even more, I mean, individual awareness is important, but you know what we don't teach people? System awareness. I think you're buying you on there. You show me in the curriculum, other than in an organizational development or an IO psychology, social psychology area, where people learn about systems. But we don't even teach your kids about finances. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a system, the finance yeah, system, you right? know, and, and they leave and they go, oh, my God, yes. If someone's listening to this, which they will be, what's the first thing you recommend that a C-suite executive would do to basically say, right, we need to get this company back on track? I think the thing to do is what we were talking about before, you know, ask some questions about the value that the organization is providing to its stakeholders and where there are major areas of waste and inefficiency. If an organization is focused on value, they won't go wrong. But what tends to happen is organizations focus their attention on inputs, process, and outputs, and not really on the outcomes. And they might go through a planning exercise where they you know, generate a bunch of outcomes and think in terms of customer value and things like that. But as soon as they get back into the organization, they get focused on the internals, you know, the, the, the resources that we're spending, the budgeting, the activities, and, uh, you know, how much product are we generating? As, as a very good friend said, a KPI doesn't give you questions, doesn't give you answers. It only gives you questions. You're absolutely right. It's, it, they might be, key performance indicators, but what is the performance that you're indicating? Your books. If someone wants to really get into the, you know, the, the nitty gritty of measurement, where can they pick up your books? Well, it's on Amazon. It's, uh, 
you know, it's out of print, but there's tons of copies available. Uh, I wrote it over 10 years ago called Transforming Performance Measurement. And people tell me that it's just as relevant today as it was 10 years ago. Nothing has changed. Not one thing in that book would I alter. And that's one of the reasons why I never did a second or third edition. Well, it's, a, it's, in, it's on Kindle, so people can actually pick it's it up. It's on Kindle, Kindle, absolutely. Yeah, on yeah, it. it's but, but yeah, it, it, you know, you said that things haven't changed in 10 years. The human hasn't changed in a million, million years. And even, I, even when I talk to people about selling and processes, um, I say, you know, when in the time of Jesus Christ, you know, people were still barting in markets. You know, and well before that, is that the human behaviors and have not changed. It's only the systems that yeah, have. <laughs> right. But, but what's changed is that people are living in a much more complex world. And then that makes measurement so much more important because, you know, back in those days, everybody could see exactly all the influences in their lives and what they had to do today, 99% of what impacts us is invisible and can only be revealed through measurement. Well, in those days, it was small communities. Yeah. And the, the world has just got very, a lot bigger. Very complex. Yeah, and very complex. And you planet. mentioned chaotic too. So there's not just complexity, but there's chaos in the sense that we can't predict many of the things that are going to happen in the future that are going to be dramatic, dramatically change our lives. But if we work on the system, see what we tend to do is when crises came come along, we kind of put patches on the system. But then when things get better, we don't, we're not motivated to improve. Can you imagine the trillions of dollars that we spent on COVID, if we invested 10% on that, of that on improving the healthcare system that was the victim of this COVID, how much improvement we could make. But we don't do that. We, we, we'll spend trillions on fixing the crisis or, or re reacting to the crisis and almost nothing on improving the systems. Well, if you look at it when other crises which were homegrown and were within a country for decades and people were screaming out for money to fix them there was no money there but suddenly there was trillions and that asked a question the question is how come money can be found for one project and it can't be found to fix something that needs to be fixed for decades you know, well, the same thing's true in our lives, is that if we have a desperate need for something, we'll find the ability to get that thing, whether it be food or a car or a house or whatever. But other than that, you know, we just kind of take things as they come. If you believe in something enough and you have clarity, you've identified what it is and you have clear clarity on it i do believe that there is something in the ether that actually changes because of that vibration that you have that actually then allows it to come in 
as well. I'm not That's, really into vibrations. I'm well, more into it, God, but <laughs> well, vibration to me is it's it's different. We use different languages, but it's just, it resonates at the same. But remember our conversation, Joe, about the difference between success and value. I think that's something that's really important to realize is that we talk so much about success. What does success mean? Success means different things at different moments. So if I want to be a success, I can be a success tomorrow. I can be a success, win a, a tennis tournament. I can, I can, I can achieve success in so many different ways. But as soon as I've achieved that success, then I have to try to find the next mountain to climb. But with value, remember what I said, Joe, with value, you can, you can give value, provide value every moment of every day, and you never reach the pinnacle. Yeah, because I think success has an element of desire attached to it. And desire- It also has an element of time frame. Yeah, success but it, is within a time frame. Value is continuous forever, right? Value can can be extended for a lifetime, and the value that what a company should always ask themselves: what is the greatest value that we can give to our clients, to our clients and our employees and society? Question: I have when a company changes its direction by using the processes that you have put in place. What significant change do they see in performance? They, they, well, the most important change is that people start looking at value, the value that they're providing, the value that they're providing internally and externally. So it's the value focus that is the most radical change. So we're going back to you know what you talk about, which is, thinking and internal focus, if we can change people's mindset and get not just a, a positive versus negative mindset, but a value-focused mindset, include val what value am I providing to others and what value am I giving the system and how can the systems in which I work provide more value? And, you know, so if you look at the, let, let's say the, um, the, the world is spending $100 trillion on various things. How we could get rid of all poverty, all hunger, all disease, if in five years we, re, we invested that money differently in areas that provide real value rather than uh, the stuff that we tend to focus on, which is self-centered stuff. I would agree because there's not a food problem. There's a distribution problem in you the world. It. Yeah, You got it. Dean, thank you for coming on the show. It's oh, been a pleasure, pleasure. And uh, it's my pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much. And God bless you and all your listeners. Take care. What if you could have a sustainable business without the liquidity concerns and make your company more profitable? Curious? Check out our tried and tested proven client acquisition formula. Go to www.joedalton.ie and book your free consultation now.